All right, I think we will start and let people kind of settle. Um, don't feel bad to come up here. There's a lot of seats. There's some here, some in the middle. Okay, so welcome uh, to this session on um, medical missions, marriage, and family. Uh, we are really excited to be here with you today. I'm really excited about the turnout in, in this room. I did not even dream that there would be this many people in here, so I'm encouraged by that. Um, and so we're going to kind of share with you a little bit what our plans are today. This is going to be a little bit different than some of the other talks here in structure. Uh, but before I start, I want to introduce to you who we are. And so then you can decide whether we have any credibility that you want to listen to. And maybe you can leave from very early in the session. Hi, we are Jeff and Janet Lehman. Um, we have been married for 23 years. Our four children range from age 20 down to age 11. We spent nine years in North India with SIM working at a rural mission hospital. We returned to the States um, in 2009, and Jeff is now currently working as a family medicine residency program director in Peoria, Illinois, and I am a full-time mom and part-time nurse. Um, we have spent the last eight years helping facilitate the CMDA, CMDE, annual conferences for medical missionaries around the world, um, which has helped us keep current in missions and with marriage and family issues on the field. Um, more importantly, I'm very thankful to introduce uh, Dr. Jim and Lynn Henderson, who uh, were really tremendous mentors to us when we first arrived on the field as rookies, and even now since we've returned home trying to figure out life here on this side of the globe. So, again, my name is Jim. This is Lynn. We have had the pleasure of knowing the Lynn's for many years from our early days in India. Um, we left private practice in Nashville, Tennessee, joined a wonderful mission agency called Surge and served in India and in uh, Southall, England for 11 years. And we came back in 2006, been in private practice of a sort since with a faith-based Organizations serving the unobserved and um, uninsured. We have three children. We've been married for 35 years, so we married when we were 15. <laughs> Our children are now 28, 31, and 33. Um, and we are just so honored to be here. It's a pleasure, and we look forward to getting to know some of you. We hope. Thank you. All right, so before we start today, we just needed a little bit of a survey. So if you'll help me out, how many people in this room are married? Okay, maybe it'll be the easier way. How many people in this room are single? Okay, how many people in this room are parents? Okay. <laughs> Very good. Um, how many of the people uh, in this room are currently serving uh, in a third culture, or in, a, in an alter, okay, how many people in this room are planning on going, okay, very good, that really just helps us, how many people in this room, um, can I just ask, uh, used to be married and are, are uh, separated or widowed, because I think there's some wisdom there too as well, okay, so I just want to talk with you about the goals of what we're trying to accomplish today. I'm normally the evidence-based medicine guy at our practice, and so I'm like always wanting to pro provide statistics, and I don't like soft things. I want things that you can measure. And so, you know, the initial thought in my head when we were asked to do this, 
was that we would get all kinds of statistics about number of people married and successfully married. And, and, uh, and then I just realized that would not be very, very helpful. And so our goals are very simple. Uh, our goals are for those people who are either going or planning to go or maybe even supporting senders, uh, that, you, that we would have just some realistic expectations of some of the challenges and joys of marriage uh, on the field and for parenting as well. Uh, there are other things for those who are already on the field. We just really want to encourage you uh, that you are not alone, uh, that your struggles are not unique, um, and just really maybe this could be a time of evaluating kind of where uh, you all are with uh, your priorities with marriage and, and for family. I just want to talk a little bit before you're here. So obviously this topic is important to you, so I don't need to go through all the reasons why uh, marriage and, and parenting are, are an important topic to talk about. There's just a few key things before we get into the meat of our talk today that I just wanted to share. First is uh, looking at the ultimate missionary, uh, Jesus, uh, the one who perfectly accomplished every task that he was sent out to do. Um, And I just think about him being faithful to accomplish everything. And even in the midst of tremendous suffering and pain, uh, Jesus, uh, the Gospel of John tells us, looked down and saw his mother Uh, standing there as he's hanging on the cross beside the disciple he loved. And he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. So Jesus, faithful in ministry, but also at the same time, uh, not forgetting about his responsibility to his family. And we, uh, like Christ, have been sent uh, into many, many areas. And God has called us both to be faithful and to try and... and, uh, uh, serve for fruitful ministry, but also uh, to be responsible of taking care of our families and those who have been entrusted to our care. So when I was initially thinking about, like, thinking about why is this important, uh, the first thing that popped into my head was this kind of fleshly kind of talk, and that was like, well, it's pretty simple. If your marriages aren't healthy, and if, if you don't have great relationships with your kids, and if your kids are struggling, you're probably not going to have very fruitful ministry. Now, that's probably a true statement. But I just want to reiterate, uh, start with the fact that that's a terrible motivator uh, for us to be able to work on our our marriages and our family. Because that mentality, then, how good does your marriage have to be before you have fruitful ministry? And how good a parents do you have to be? And uh, I think up here we can tell you that God uh, blesses despite our frailties. And so it has to be, as we think about this today, it has to be the gospel that motivates us and, and enables us. Because God has really called us to be faithful in multiple callings, right? We don't just have one uh, calling. Uh, I'm called to be a, a husband to Janet. I'm called to be a father to my children. I'm called to be a faithful member of my local body. I'm called to be faithful in my vocation, whether that's here working in the States or overseas in ministry. Um, and God doesn't, uh, those are not mutually exclusive callings, right? You don't have to just turn one off and turn on the other. And I just want to say that each one of those callings has to be informed by the gospel, Right? Uh, God uh, calls us into those responsibilities. He enables us by grace into those responsibilities. He fuels uh, our work in those things by grace. And ultimately, God blesses those things by grace. And I just want to be careful uh, as we think about this, that this is not kind of a pull yourselves up by your bootstraps mentality. I love this verse. 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that God is able to make all grace uh, bound to you that having sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may be able to abound in every good work, every one of those responsibilities that God has called you to. So that any biblical consideration of what we're talking about today um, has to uh, start here. 
And it cannot be uh, work harder, try harder, uh, uh, pull yourselves up and be better mentality. So uh, I just want to start there, that this has to start with grace because every one of us in this room is going to have struggled in these areas a little bit. And uh, I just want to start with that, that very, very important thing. We just need to be looking to him for every need and constant guidance on this. So today what we're going to do is we are going to um, start with uh, a very simple kind of intro from each of us. We're going to start with uh, uh, marriage, and we're going to go through joys and challenges and then do that for parenting. And I'm going to start with joys first. I think many times when people come to a session like this, they're thinking about all the challenges. But we want to reiterate to you that there are very real and very unique joys uh, that are there to uh, be married on the field and and to uh, raise children on the field. And then we're going to go through some common pitfalls that we've seen in our own experience and, uh, and in the lives of people that we've worked with and in our agencies. Then we're going to break into some small groups and we're going to discuss some common scenarios and we're going to put you guys to work. Uh, and then uh, we'll come back and collect the common wisdom from those scenarios and then we'll have a question and answer panel uh, at the end. Now, for those of you who are tech savvy, at the very end, uh, if you want, you can just raise your hand and ask a question uh, for Q&A. Uh, but if you want now, if you want to text uh, that the phrase to the number 37607. Uh, I, we'll see if this works. Uh, I'll have this up at the end as well. You can text questions through the, the time for the panel. Now, we may not answer all those. We may farm those out. As I look around this room, I see many faces of people who are well qualified to talk on this topic. So uh, this is a conversation we'll just start with today. We did want to begin with a disclaimer uh, just to say that we're not experts. So none of us have general degrees in marriage or family or parenting. And the things that we're going to share are from our own experience. They're filtered. A lot of the experiences are filtered through where we were located geographically, um, the ages of our children, uh, even our theology and our personalities. So we're hopeful that what we share is relevant, but we don't expect that, that what we have to talk about is going to be for example, it's going to be universal. So that's our disclaimer. <laughs> Let's start the conversation. That's me. I'll start So I love what Jeff said about um, about there being really unique joys in marriage as and living overseas. And um, and I saw that there were a lot of hands of people that, that aren't going overseas right now. And they may not even be planning to. And I'd, I'd be interested to hear later maybe your thoughts on if these joys are also unique to people who are in ministry here. Um, they probably are. Um, but I think one of our joys really started before we went overseas. And one of the unique things. So before Jim and I married... We, um, we have really different ideas about missions, and it wasn't that much of a discussion, actually, as we contemplate marriage, which is one of those puzzling things. Um, so <laughs> we just rushed headlong into marriage. But um, yeah, generally believed that um, if he was a medical missionary, that God would be happier with him, and that he would somehow gain a little more just love and credibility and standing with God. And I really believe that anybody that was a missionary was there because they just didn't fit in their home culture. Um, we had this conversation, and it never really came to any... We, we actually weren't against kind of strange, but we really weren't that bothered by it. <laughs> we were just excited about being married. Um, 
So through a couple of years, the, the joy came. I mean, it was really several years, and God used a lot of different things. But we were literally like pendulums, and I can't do it with the microphone, but we did this. And then after a couple of short-term mission trips to Venezuela where Jim felt really inadequate and I felt really excited, we did this. And then after another couple of years, we just, we, we became unified. And honestly, it really was just a miracle, and it was only something that God could do. So it, it just brought so much joy. So... Unexpected joy for me was the way I got to know Lynn more through living in a third or different culture. So early in our marriage, um, if I asked Lynn the question, what do you really wish or want for me? Um, I know now one of her answers would have been, I want you to know me. and I want to be known, but I also want to know you. Well, time won't permit for stories, but my family background did not include any of that. We just lived life. We didn't talk, because we probably lose to already. My daughters, as they got older, but from early ages, that was the cry of their heart, to be known and to know us as parents. All the spiritual stuff followed from that to them. So one of the joys for me was getting to know Lynn, really her personality, but also her spiritual gifts while we were living in a different culture, where we were stretched. So when those of you who are going go abroad, I hope you are surprised by that joy also. And for those of you who are abroad now, if you haven't seen that yet, I hope you get the chance. I watched then with her personality gifts come to light, just dealing with people in our home and teaching women to read and, and um, write Hindi, which most of them couldn't. I also watched her spiritual gifts come to light as she dealt with people with mental illness over and over into our home, exercising gifts of hospitality. She would say, and I will elaborate, but she would say she saw similar things in me, both parts of my personality that she would not have known otherwise, things that came out through just a day-to-day life, but also what happened through the Lord when buses would go off the mountains and we'd have dozens of people brought in with broken backs and dead and dying and watch what God did through me and through us together. So that was a great joy for us. And lastly, I can't leave out just the fact that it's incredible to have a great adventure together. Um, and when we all four talked about this, that was a thing, one thing that all four of us actually shared, is that to be able to share new experiences with your wife or husband, I mean, it's just wonderful. And if you guys all here do that, but when you're in a unique culture, you're seeing it for the first time, you're meeting people for the first time, you're worshiping in other languages, um, seeing weather phenomena and animals and all kinds of things that... Um, that you share, and we still have, there's a lot of words, we can just say one word, and it takes us both back to like a whole incident, a whole story, and and really only we know, you know, the, the, the pleasure of that, and not that we want it to be exclusive, but it just becomes that way, and it really lays a lot of foundation for our relationship, and gives us a lot of bonding, and our, our whole family, in fact, we can say the name Sunita, and our whole family just laughs. And it, it actually goes back to 
really a hard experience where um, a trusted friend and someone who helped us in our home um, took a lot of money from us at a time when we, we needed it. And um, so it was really kind of a devastating experience at the time. Uh, but we, you know, worked through the uh, just understanding, forgiveness, confrontation, all of that. But the reason it's funny now is that it, it came that pretty much every time over the ensuing years that anything was missing, the kids would say, oh, Mom, it was Sunita. <laughs> and just as a joke. And so still, because we're getting older and losing things all the time, we'll just say, <laughs> As we've talked about this today, I think... Um, I just want to really highlight there are unique uh, joys, and we could have spent a lot more time talking on that. We're going to move on to some of the challenges, uh, I think, of, of marriage overseas. And the first one is going to seem really, really obvious, and that's just the urgent physical needs of suffering people. I mean, I can't, uh, I can, I can't even count on all my fingers and toes the numbers of times it was an anniversary or a birthday uh, or uh, you know a date night that we had not had very infrequently scheduled. And then you get a call from the hospital that someone's having a heart attack or there's been a road traffic accident. And there's not like something you can say, well, uh, I'll be there in an hour or two. And so that you would just have to leave those events. And that's not fundamentally different, I guess, from medicine here in in the United States. Uh, Many of us have those kind of call responsibilities. But it is different in the sense that there's generally not that many people to share that workload. And so it happens a lot more often. Um, Yeah. And so uh, that urgent need, I mean... That, that's really challenging. I don't know that I have an answer for that one, uh, so we're just going to leave, leave that one there. But um, it is a challenging problem. Um, dating and intimacy can also definitely be a challenge, depending on where you live overseas. Um, extreme heat, extreme cold, living accommodations, like living really close together, thin walls. Fatigue, lack of opportunities to go out on a date, lack of a place to go out on a date um, can all make it a challenge. So we lived in a village, and so the easiest thing for us to do for a date was to have a date at home. And so I would plan this date. I would prepare this you know, really fancy meal, which was a lot of work because everything we made from scratch there. I would feed the kids early, put them to bed, and then Jeff and, I, Jeff and I would have this amazing romantic date that I would always fall asleep on because I was so exhausted from doing all the work. And it really was frustrating for us because that's pretty much all we had. And so I found out you could buy these little um, dry packet soup, soup packets. And so one night I just fixed soup from this packet. And I had amazing energy to have sweet conversation and other things. <laughs> um, and Jeff has never enjoyed soup so much. <laughs> so that actually became our signature soup and sex date. <laughs> and so I say all of this just to encourage you that it will be a challenge probably for all of you in some way. Um, but... Uh, Find out what works for you, be creative, and make it a priority. And I will put a plug in because I saw there were several single pants here. Um, the singles did not come to the field to babysit your children. So I will encourage you, you know, find ways to, to have these dates and 
Um, maybe it's having a date and, and biting a single over and having a fun time together. But just we've seen that happen a little bit, so just a caution for that. Yeah, that's very good. Um, there's no real solution for 110 degree weather and humidity. So that yeah. So there's a temptation. I think another challenge for us in, in is that challenge to make medical ministry your identity or almost a third person in your relationship. Um, there's a lot of gratitude and a lot of praise uh, for people who are involved in ministry, especially for those whom you're taking care of. And it was so easy. It can be so easy for people to start to believe that your spouse is there solely to empower you and enable you to build your own little kingdom. Uh, because it really feels good to get those accolades from the people you're serving. And I, I have to admit it, you know, this is a heart issue that got uncovered over time. But I loved being Jeff, the medical missionary living in the village in a hard place in India. And at times that eclipsed the needs of my wife. And um, that was not a pretty thing. Uh, and it was a, a unique challenge. But I think it's a challenge that we have seen repeated over and over and over again, that kind of third person in the marriage. You know, on, after our first home assignment, we had a new assignment. We are moving to a new hospital. I was going to be starting a family medicine residency there. We're very excited. And so um, we return, 13-hour flight to Delhi, 8-hour train ride, another 45-minute car ride. We pull up to the front of the house they have. We unload all the trunks uh, that we're going to need for the next three years, and a 4-year-old, and a 2-year-old, and a 10-month-old, and Janet, 10-week-old. Yeah. And, uh, and I helped get the last trunk in the house, and very embarrassed and ashamed to tell you that I said, well, I need to go to the hospital. And, and I walked off and left my wife standing there. And um, that's a heart issue, right, uh, more than anything. I'm thankful for God's transforming grace that he's really helped me and grow in that. Uh, but that was really a challenge. You want to just mention real briefly that one? No, I didn't. Okay. I think another thing that we found challenging, and this is maybe our own personalities, uh, but being sent missionaries and living, uh, we worked only with national partners. We were the only expats where we worked. And so we really had a hard time having fun and not feeling guilty about it. And so taking time away because some of our national partners didn't have the same resources we did. And so that was really a challenging uh, thing for us. And so uh, it was, in some ways it was a healthy corrective uh, for us, but in other ways uh, we kind of felt really constrained by that. Let's, oh, yeah. Sorry. We're good communicators. So we're going to go on to the, the parenting, and Janet and I get to start with the joys of parenting. And the first one we're going to share, I think, was just all-encompassing. All four of us just reiterated this, uh, that our kids' worldview is big. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I mean, our kids have had the opportunity uh, to live in India, to visit. We had to leave every six months because the Indian government mandated that for visas. So Bangladesh, Nepal, Thailand. And for our kids to be able to see that, different languages, different worship styles, different levels of living, different worldviews, and I don't think we really appreciated how much this impacted our kids until we came home. And I just love, even now, as young adults, to see them. But one funny story is that uh, one day I picked my daughter up, I think it was either 8th grade uh, or in high school, right after we got back from home, and I'm sitting there picking her up in the car, and two of her friends are really fighting with each other. I mean, really having a knockdown drag out. And she gets in the car, and I said, you know, what's that about? And she just said, First world problems, Dad. (laughs) And uh, so I just love that perspective in her. I think one of the unexpected joys for me was that I love being with my kids. Um, Because 
I was with them all the time. And we did everything together. And life was simple there. There were not a lot of distractions. I know that's not going to be the case everywhere, but for me it was. And I was just thinking, you know, here, a a couple weeks ago, I took my youngest son, he's still 11, um, I took him to the zoo. And I realized I didn't have to do that in India because we lived in a zoo. (laughs) We had monkeys running across our roof. And the experiences that we had together, you know, Riding on elephants, almost dying on an elephant, actually, and riding on camels. and I mean, there was just such amazing experiences that we were able to experience together. Um, and the other thing was that uh, we visited families together. We did ministry together. Everything that we went out and did ministry with, they were with us. Um, we ate every meal together, and usually there were other people at our table. And so they understood that ministry was our life, and it encompassed them. And um, I think the only time that they weren't part of ministry is when Jeff was doing medical stuff. But everything else, that they understood that this was all ministry, and, and we enjoyed it, and we experienced it together. Um, And I think at the time, I didn't always see that as a joy, (laughs) because it is kind of exhausting. But looking back on it and having this opportunity to talk about this, I realized that was an incredibly unique um, and special opportunity that I had with my kids. So I actually, in fairness, did try to include them in my medical work. And uh, right when I got there, uh, I decided I was taking Cameron, my oldest son, who was then five or six, or four, to the hospital with me. And I just said, now stay here, don't touch anything, we're in a large ward. And uh, you know, I'm not very smart, you'll realize this by the end of the talk after my last example, but there's a cholera outbreak going on, and I look over, at, and Cameron's licking the bedpost of a patient. And so I decided, yeah, this is probably not good to include my kids in this part of, of our work. Um, yeah. But I, the other thing is that really is related to the first thing that I shared, was that um, just that our kids, especially our older two children, really have a very, very different perspective on material possessions. And, uh, and we have, they understand the value and the beauty of living simply. They know really what poverty looks like. Um, and unfortunately here in the United States, so often our communities are segregated and they don't get a chance to see that. But they really have a robust understanding of how blessed people are here way more than I think that their friends do. And as it, they've gotten older, especially our older two kids, we just see that, of the value that they have in things, their expectations of what we will provide for them as parents is much, much simpler. And uh, that has been a really beautiful blessing, too. Uh, and, and again, that's probably not going to happen if you're uh, workers in the middle of Hong Kong or something like that. But for where we lived in India, that was a tremendous uh, blessing for us. There's one other joy uh, that was unique. We had really small children on the field, um, and, and Jim and Lynn had some older children, so I'm going to ask Jim, uh, Lynn to share one of the examples of them for their older kids. A joy. It's honestly similar to what Janet was talking about yeah. for kids being involved in ministry, but when we, when we first went abroad, they were four, seven, and nine, and our daughters were seven and nine, just started, while we were packing things, they just started making little pages with scripture verses and rolling them up and tying them up. And I was like, what are you doing? And, and I said, yeah, we're, we want to be able to share with people and encourage you know, Hindus about who Jesus is. And that was without our even doing anything. Um, I don't know that those 
those little tracts ever got handed out. But it was sweet watching them do that and want to do that. Uh, and, and honestly, it was just as they grew, it was watching God grow their hearts for a, um, with a love for people that, that didn't know Jesus. And also, honestly, with this hearts of compassion for people that lived on the, on the fringes of society. And I feel like our kids often led, at least me and Matt, um, maybe both of us, that we had, um, I had a, a friend who had personality disorder and was mentally ill, and I often ran out of, of kindness and compassion. Uh, but I watched our kids, as they're older, I mean, they were middle school and high school, welcome her, always treat her with respect. I feel like our children led us in mercy. Um, when we got tired of being um, asked for things or felt demanded of, they, they didn't run out of mercy like we did. So just, just to watch our kids grow in those things, and it, what, none of it was coerced by us, um, was really God's work. So that was a that was a huge joy for us. Yeah. Some of the challenges. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're moving on to challenges with our kids, and I'm going to clump several of them together. That I think we experience all four of us is um, cultural differences is an obvious challenge raising your, especially when it comes to disciplining children. The story's okay. Um, the story's okay. And so you will find very readily that, that other cultures do not necessarily raise their kids the same way you want to raise yours. Um, <clears throat> a prime example for us, we had just arrived on the field, I believe, and I had a five-month-old daughter. And I had laid her down for a nap in a pack-and-play, and she was crying, so I was just trying to let her cry herself to sleep and um, didn't think much of it. And a woman, like, literally just broke through our front door and went straight to her bedroom and grabbed her out of her pack and play and just started scolding me like, how could you do this to your daughter? Do you not love her? And just it was just shocking to me. Um, but in India, they, they think children are like kind of the royalty and you, you give them whatever they want, especially males um, in, that, in that setting. Um, schooling options, I'm sure you've already anticipated that that's going to be a challenge. Um, for us, it was we really the only option we had was homeschooling for the time. Um, the Hendersons had an international school near them, so their children thrived at the international school. So I do think there is a lot of good options out there now, and hopefully some good resources that you'll be able to um, connect with for that for that challenge. Um, and the other one, really quick, was um, uh, language and friends with your kids. So. Um, we had our children do Hindi classes. We tried to speak Hindi in the home as much as we could. Our oldest son is a perfectionist, and he was never comfortable trying to speak Hindi with other kids. And so he had quite a difficult time making friends. And that really still kind of, he remembers that today, and it kind of affects him. My other two kids um, didn't care as much. They would just throw out whatever they could when they talked. And they had great relationships, they became kind of one of them very readily. So I do think it depends on your child and kind of their events, and it is important to really try to understand where your child is and how you can help walk them through that. I don't think we did a very good job of that with our oldest. Yeah, another 
challenge for our family, um, I can just put it under the big heading of boundaries. So I've already talked about what a joy it was that our that our kids were great I'm kids, that that's people behind. that we lived around, and with our they were our friends, um, and so they were good welcomers. Um, but there were times when I feel like it would have been good if we had protected some family time better, and maybe we did. Um, yeah, I think, I think so. I think that was something we didn't pay a lot of attention to. And there there really weren't a lot of boundaries where we lived. It was just close to where Jim worked. It was close to our friends and people that came in and out of our home. It was close to a lot of people in need. Um, so, yeah, it was hard to protect family time. In fact, the way people knew if we were home or not because we didn't have a car was our kitchen door pretty much as soon as we got up we would open our kitchen door where the, just the screen was there so it was assumed once the doors opened that it was okay to, to come over uh, but if the door was closed then it was honestly too dark in the kitchen for me to do breakfast <laughs> so we really did have a, have a pretty open door policy and I remember one time when our daughter, second daughter Annie, was turning 14, and she said, for my birthday, can we just have like a family night and play our favorite games? Would you make lasagna? Which was like, such an ordeal. <laughs> and, um, and cake. So I said, that would be great. And then late in the afternoon, a, um, a guy from, I think, Mississippi arrived at the hospital a couple of days before he was supposed to, didn't have anywhere to go. So I asked Ann, you know, is it okay if he comes and spends the night with us and joins you for your birthday? He's a really nice guy. And she said, yeah, that's great. She was quite happy about that. And what we didn't know is that he had arrived with a really severe case of deli belly. And we have, we have one bathroom, and so her entire birthday was marked by this guy in our bathroom all night long with a lot of noise <laughs> with our games and Not one. 
that should be walked into alone without resources. We listed resources yeah. as a great book. Uh, TCK Kids, and it's in the resource section. I have a copy. Anybody wants to look at this? I didn't avail myself of that, nor did I have the same attitude that I would be basically helpless, and therefore I would be dependent on prayer. I just tried to walk into us coming on the own strength. Well, we've been home 13 years, and a week ago, makes you cry. But a week ago, our son uh, went serious to talking to Lynn about how hard. It was to be pulled away from everything he loved. And for me to not have navigated that well with him, his last memory was that God called us and told us to come home, which was not totally true. But for eight years, my son's thought of God was he's, he doesn't care about them. He cares about something different and bigger, which is a lie. And I'm just really sorry for that. So we wanted to include that. That'll be a challenge for those of you who will go and one day will come back. I'm going to give you a wife and What he just said is, I mean, completely true, but what was wonderful is that our son had said how hard it was to come home many times to us from before we left up until a week ago. And up until maybe four or five years ago, it was always said with a lot of bitterness towards us and towards God. But this time it was so sweet, and he was he was sad because he had heard how hard it was for us to watch him suffer, and we were actually all crying. And um, I just had that because it was there was a sweetness to it, a redemption. It was the end of God's story. I'm going to be a wife too and grab the milk for us. <laughs> if you come home unexpectedly. You know, dealing with your own grief and uh, confusion about that, it's also going to be hard for your kids because you haven't prepared them. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to move from the joys and challenges of parenting and marriage to just a few common uh, pitfalls that we've seen as very common, and then we're going to break into some groups and, and make you guys do some work. The first and probably most important of these, I would say, is uh, not having accountability. Um, or listening to it. There was a, a time uh, for about eight months in the hospital where I was the only person that was covering any kind of medicine uh, call. We had surgeons and we had orthopedists, uh, but I was the only person doing um, call for medicine and, uh, and covering the ER for eight months in a row. So basically on call for eight months uh, in a row. And we were isolated, and I really had pushed off any accountability, and I started to change. Uh, I started to become like a robot and what now people describe as burnout. And, and just kept telling Janet, we're fine, we're fine, don't worry about this, we're, we're going to be fine, this is just going to end soon. And, and uh, you know, I, in the end, thankfully, and Janet really was struggling because she felt very isolated and alone because I was kind of cutting off people who uh, could be accountable to us. Thankfully, SIM realized how bad things were for us, and uh, through a whole set of circumstances we don't need to talk about, but mandated that we leave the field for a month. Uh, and that was a life-saving thing for our family. Very, very thankful for that. So we've seen a lot of other cases, really tragic cases, where people have cut themselves off from accountability, think they are not humble to listen to the advice of people, which has ended in mar- marital affairs, ended in broken marriages, ended in tragedies of all kind. And so my plea with you, um, who are on the field and planning on going, um, don't be a lone ranger. You know, when I hear about people who are going off all by themselves to work, I just, I'm fearful for them. And so don't be a lone ranger. Who are you going to be accountable to? 
and just covenant that you're going to be listening to people even when they say things you don't like and disagree with. And then the other thing I would just say is have couples uh, that you can be vulnerable with. Even if you only see them a couple times a year, if you have other people, you can just really share those ugly things like me leaving my kids there and, and uh, for Janet to be able to share that. Those are really important. So culture, uh, foster those relationships. Another thing that's um, a pitfall, just to be summed up in a great sentence that once heard, when you go abroad, you take yourself with you. And it will be like pouring miracle grow on yourself. Whatever you have from your childhood, from your young years, your dating years, your early married years, will go with you. And because our Lord is a great gardener, the Holy Spirit will never stop working with us and us and through us. But it is as if he will pour miracle growth on whatever you struggle with. It will not become better as you get distracted or busy or you're about such spiritual things. That's point one. We would have a thousand stories to share, time won't permit. But you can name anything in your life. That's for you and your time with the Lord tonight, maybe to think through. But wherever, you could even call it a stronghold or just an area of struggle. But it will be for spirit. So let that be a good word of warning. The other thing is um, be careful this is a word of warning be careful to not mistake a different culture as a cause of problems um, and that's, that's why you have it in fact think of it as the opposite um, mistaking normal marriage and parenting issues or challenges that everybody faces everywhere as due to the stresses on the field it's just not true it's part of everybody's life everywhere Um, really quick, uh, this is a little bit newer um, as a pitfall. Technology and social media um, outlets will most likely follow you wherever you go. And there is a danger of escaping to that um, because of homesickness, loneliness. You just want to pull away from the language and the culture. And it's really easy to escape to that social media. Um, and I've actually seen this. Uh, women have shared this. Especially for women, I believe it's a little bit harder of a temptation to pull away and to go into social media. So just be aware of that. And also be aware that this is a huge temptation for your kids and for teenagers as well. And I I have to include in this that there's the danger of pornography because it's just so readily available. Um, And you have probably heard the statistics on how prevalent it is on the field. And we have witnessed um, more than one family that... um, that have been just really, really damaged in a marriage because of this. So that is a pitfall to be aware of. We're going to have two more. My last one is just a, a little quick one. And that is, especially for the, I look out in the audience, I see all these young, energetic faces and people filled with, like, passion to get to the field. But my uh, goal is that this is not a sprint. If you want a successful ministry on the field, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And just like when I... Ran a half marathon a couple years ago. I don't start out running. And I just think that so often we made that mistake and a lot of other people do. Uh, And so what that looks like is going to be different for everybody. But part of that marathon, I think, includes language. It includes proper preparation. It includes proper cycles of rest. And and so just realize that you're in this for the long haul. And I know that you're passionate. Uh, People are passionate to get to the field. But uh, so often those dead sprints don't end up very, very well. As we live our normal, whatever normal is, Christian lives here in the U.S., 
for foreign ministry or if we live overseas as missionaries, um, as Christians, we're all thinking about the gospel and who's, who's the gospel for. And the gospel is for the weak and for the needy and foreign money poor. Um, so for me, for my own personal self, and I think others I've talked to, one of the biggest pitfalls is not living out of the gospel. When we're living among people, we want to share the gospel with, and yet we're not living according to the gospel. And I have fallen many times in the pit, and will again, of saying, wow, that was hard. Thanks for your help, God. I've got it from here. Um, I don't know if anyone else struggles with that, but it's, it, it's I think, going to be lifelong for me. <laughs> so, um, but it's just to encourage you guys and ourselves and each other to live according to the gospel and not afraid to be weak and needy, um, to not try and please the people that we're, we're working with, our fellow missionaries, um, our colleagues, to not try and please them or please God by human effort. And just think of Paul reminding the Galatians, you know, are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And it's it's destined to fail. Again, I can I can tell you that by experience. So I think that's one of the greatest pitfalls is to not look uh-huh. out of Jesus and his strength. So I never anticipated this many people, so this might be a little challenging. But what I would like for you guys to do is to make a mess of the chairs in this room and to get in groups of about eight or ten people and ideally having four, at least four units. So uh, in that, and just you can make a mess of the chairs. And we're going to hand out some scenarios to you. And what we'd like you to do, there are questions on those scenarios, and we're going to give you 15 or 20 minutes as a group to talk about those scenarios how would you approach them if you're counseling somebody else? How would you do if you, that was you? How they apply to you? And at the end, we're going to kind of come back together and I'm going to collect our answers and we're going to kind of think collectively about some of these things. And so if you could go ahead and, and get up and, and kind of look around you and uh, find a group of eight or ten people and just make your chairs into a circle. Okay. I love hearing the conversation. We're going to just keep that conversation going and just focus it up here. Okay? So now, for those of you who maybe got, will get the opportunity to hear some wisdom from the other uh, scenarios, uh, one of the things I'll just start with, we'll just start with number one. So, George and Mary, I love adventures and odysseys, so. Uh, George and Mary have been on the field for over a year, and things are going well, they love what they're doing. Um, but they're working with a bunch of co-workers who don't have the same kind of work-life balance goals. And, um, oh, yeah, some of you don't see this. So they respect the care. They respect and care for the national partners where God has placed them. But these co-workers definitely have a different cultural mindset on what work and family balance looks like. They don't see anything wrong with working long hours or missing family time, and George feels pressured to work alongside of them. He wants to prove that he is one of them. After all, he and Mary are missionaries, right? And they've committed to sacrifice all for the work of the Lord. 
It's starting to affect their marriage, and Mary is starting to resent the ministry and even some of the co-workers she feels are influencing George away from his commitments at their home. So if you had that scenario, I would love for your group just to kind of share kind of some, what were some of the things that you would recommend to them as potential resources or next steps or even any other common wisdom that are related scenarios that you have learned in your lives from that. And we're just going to kind of record these on the board here. So who all had scenario one? All right. So you think I want to... I'll leave. Can we start back here? Do you guys want to share kind of anything that you talked or thoughts that you had? Which group?
challenging. Any other thoughts from the group, Jim? Or uh... I, this was my life. I did everything wrong. <laughs> I, I went to language school, and they pulled me within a week to go work in the hospital. And I joined in surgery, and I was on call 24/7 for years, and only physician for a while. And I did not set boundaries, nor did I know how to. So I, my wife and I were just thankful, thinking you guys are going to think about these things before, and hopefully kind of be blessed by that. So I just want to reiterate the comment that was made here about making my my understanding of what my national partners expected from me was very different than what they expected of me. And so those conversations very early on, I think, can be really important. And so, you know, and especially in the hospital network we work in, those national partners were turning over every two or three years, and we had goals to be there for a long time. And so I felt then, kind of understanding that, my advice would be, it's okay for you to tell people that you're not going to be on call every night. We can get to some of those things in the Q&A. All right. Any other questions? Yeah. Here's my yeah, we, we served up in um, northern Pakistan for about 13 oh, years, yeah. and then now in Thailand and Burma um, for a decade or so. But we found that, in large part, missionaries are really bad at reducing stress with a can. Um, there's plenty of things you can't change, but there's a lot of things you can change. Um, sometimes it might mean getting the generator, just so you could watch a movie with your family or something. Um, if you can, can't do it, do it. Um, I think a lot of people worry about how it's going to look. Uh, so I, I think you do what you need to do to survive. Um, and that it's okay. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of areas that you can reduce stress that, that people don't because of how it might look. Amen. My initial thought was like well, it would be ideal to set up before you go to the field, but actually there's a lot of needs that you can't anticipate. Absolutely. That our organization does. Um, something that our organization does is that they encourage families to take a retreat maybe two months after they've arrived. Um, once you've actually assessed the field and you realize, um, Lord, like what are the opportunities for us here? What are you calling us to? Um, so that's something I think is kind of important. Taking time as a family. Um, to pray about like what are the ministries that God is calling us to as a family, um, what is the role um, for me as a father, or me as a wife. Um, I think that's really important. That's great advice. Great well, advice. What's your name and your organization? Uh, I'm Thomas Ogas. I'm actually I'm actually a lay Catholic missionary, um, and I served in Haiti and in Taiwan, um, and now I'm studying medicine to, to serve the poor. So. Right. That's great advice. I just want to reiterate this, these words of wisdom up here. Um, I think that that's really important, and a lot of young people uh, don't think about that. We slept on mattresses that were about this thick, filled with coconut fibers for the first two years of our marriage, because it would be extravagant to buy a real mattress. This was me, uh, again, the moron. And uh, you know, despite the fact that my wife, <laughs> despite the fact that my wife had back problems, I'm like, oh, they're so expensive. What are people going to think if we go buy these fancy mattresses and they're going to see us hauling in on a truck? So don't be like me. Okay. So scenario two. Uh, Roger and Genevieve are working closely along teammates and are spending a significant amount of time with one another, including each other's children on the team. Thank you, Jim. 
Due to different parenting styles and convictions, frictions begin to arise within the team. Among other things, the children of the host family for the team meetings are allowed to watch movies that Roger and Genevieve aren't comfortable with their children watching. There are other behavioral expectations and discipline differences among families that can come out during team meetings, during fellowship times, and even during planned outreaches. Roger and Genevieve try to ignore this for a while, but the conflicts and misunderstandings keep happening, and the tension is getting higher and more intense to the point where it is threatening team unity. All right, so raise your hand if you are scenario two. Okay, very good. So, go ahead. Yeah, would one person lead out? Hello, my name is Maria, and uh, we had a great conversation around this. And when I'm looking back at our answers now, there was a common theme um, among all of us, and that common theme was to humble yourself first. Uh, some of our answers came out of pray together with the other family, pray for your children, pray for their children, find your common ground instead of looking for the differences, look for your uh, commonality. Everyone loves their children. Everyone wants what's best for their children. So rather than focusing on the differences, focus on the excuse me, commonality. Um, someone in our group, I wrote this down with a couple of stars, come from a posture of grace. Um, pastor this morning said, that I write this down here, don't criticize without contribution. So instead of just looking for the differences, um, picking on somebody else's parenting skills, the tension being the, the problem. Come with um, resources. Come with answers. Come with ways to fix it. And is it Lillian? Leah. Leah had a great comment in check your own heart first. Amen. Why is there tension? Am I coming from a place of pride? Do I just believe that my parenting skills are the better skills? Um, check your heart. Let go of the pride and figure out you know, where the common ground is and how the children can be loved by everyone together. Thank you. Another question? You guys did a good job focusing on the heart, and just from my synopsis of our conversation, it seemed like there's many steps that need to be taken in terms of evaluating yourself and then conversations that both couples need to be having with each other and figuring out, like, what is your non-negotiable, like what is your heart for, you know, my kids are going to need this, or my child has a reason why you really cannot be watching these movies. And um, so figuring out, and if it's like for individual couples, what are your non-negotiables, and maybe taking that. But also, we have a lot of questions like, are, do all of the kids need to be at every meeting? Is there another option? Can we relieve some of the logistical tension in that way? Um, but not ignoring the problem is probably the biggest thing. That that will not help at all. And so how do you have these conversations? And if the conversations just lead to more tension, um, even using, like you're sending organizations, HR, or some kind of third-party person to help you in here in this conflict, um, and just help add a bit more of a resource and maybe some wisdom. Very good. Thank you. Your name? Rebecca. Um, IHI Family Medicine Residency. 
already I'm hearing just the beauty of the body of Christ. Yeah. So heart, head, practical, go deep, need each other. This is cool. Who else was two? Thank you. Anybody else have two? This group did? Okay. So as Jim's taking the mic there, one of the things that we started, and it was a, a mentality thing more than anything, but just I just said to Janet, and we said it with our teammates, just like in our marriage, divorce is not an option, we just felt the same thing among our team. And so you just we, there's got to be a way to work this out. Just like in our marriage, those can be really difficult conversations, but... Uh, within our team, these fractures aren't an option any more than they are in our marriage. It's easy to say, but it did help me approach things from a different way. There's got to be a solution. Yeah. Did you have this group? Yeah. Hi, my name is Zoe. Um, our group really talked about the importance of emphasizing like communication and really setting grades and understanding that every family is different and kind of not writing them off because they um, don't have the same parenting methods as we do. Um, and really that 
that they should sit down and have a conversation with the host family and listening to why they believe what they do and maybe explain why we believe what we do. I'm really just like trying to understand how they feel. Good. Thank you, Zoe. All right. For the sake of time, we're going to move on to scenario three. Jack and Jill and their 13-year Jack and Jill and their 13-year-old daughter Katie are just finishing up their first year on the field. So Katie was 12 when they went. Jack and Jill are excited about the progress they've made in language, and they have they're just so excited about the potential that they see for future ministry. However, Katie is not adopting well to her host culture. She is experiencing fear and anxiety in certain situations, to anger and resentment toward her parents for dragging her from her friends and family at home. She's having a lot of difficulty learning the language. She feels alienated from other kids in the host culture. She feels tells her parents that she has not developed any real friendships, even among other missionary kids. You find her constantly on social media, and she's increasingly withdrawing. And so, who had scenario three? Okay. I think some over here. This will be one where if you weren't with that scenario, but had experience or thoughts. Yeah, these are all open mics, so if you have a burning uh, thought of wisdom for us, please raise your hand. Hey guys, I'm Anna, um, and I heard a theme from everyone in our group that modeling is so huge in this scenario for the parents. Um, and so in helping this family, we would really start with a family-oriented approach when it comes to um, building social connection, that it really starts with the family. And someone brought up building family rituals, like you guys talked about, is so important. Um, And then from there, expanding social connection through bringing in other families and being hospitable. Katie can really see her parents making connections with expats or locals, and through those connections can hopefully start building connections with other kids. And um, we also talked about how something that's really important is how the parents handle emotion and what their family of origin messages were. Can they touch their painful emotions? Because if they can't, they have an intolerance to that, then Katie's going to continue to have an intolerance to her pain and her worry and anxiety. Um, so that's kind of our Very approach. good. Yeah. Um, my name is Mary Lou. Um, one thing that I was thinking about a little bit, and now thinking about more and more, um, and would encourage this family to do, if possible, is to find someone that uh, could be a counselor for Katie. Um, I was a teenager not too long ago, and um, I can think of, I can imagine myself in her place a little bit as far as um, feeling frustrated and uh, resentful and better, but and, but thinking that the parents don't understand, or they think it's just one issue, but there's actually something else. Maybe where uh, communication between the parents and the kids will end up meaning nothing to the kid because there are other ideas in their heads that yeah. will discount good. anything the parents say. Uh, the, the things I can think of would be um, maybe they feel like their parents are hypocrites 
and uh, they just see they see their parents at home and outside, and they and, and so just that just anything the parent says, trying to talk to the kids like, oh, you have other motives if you don't actually act like that, or maybe if she feels like her parents love these other people that they're working with more than her, and she feels like you know I came here probably not having a choice. Um, and you know if they don't actually love me and have my best interest in mind like they're, they're just trying to look like good parents um, without really caring about my well-being so talking to a counselor who is not part of that family it's an outside person kind of helping Katie maybe think of what she truly is thinking and feeling rather than just feeling things without words I love that. Well said. Mm-hmm. This, this is the topic I was talking about. Miracle grow. The family can't handle anger. Before you grow, you get where your all strips there, they will just grow. Good words, good spirit. So it's a little bit. First year. Hey guys, I'm Ryan. Um, so we talked about. We need to investigate where she is spiritually. Is she a Christian? You know, and kind of where she is in this, and then what does she perceive her role to be um, as part of, you know, part of our family, and then part of the missionary team? Um, you know, and does she have any ownership or stake in this, or does she just feel like she's drug along? Um, we talked about then, you know, making her feel empowered in this and helping her to develop and see her role in it. Um, the next thing was, you know, is she camping on Instagram all day? Um, you know, and then how is that influencing her expectation of how things are here versus reality? Mm-hmm. And then her expectation of um, how she's growing and developing versus her friends um, and the stuff that they're posting, you know, domestically. Um, let's see. You know, and then just proactive parenting, you know, helping her to develop friendships and setting up um, opportunities and experiences that maybe don't require a full grasp of the language, um, but allow her to develop camaraderie with the other missionary kids or the kids um, where she's living, um, and then utilizing counseling and resources um, that the missionary organization or church um, offers. You know, and seeking the wisdom of people who have gone through similar things with teenagers who are, you know, 13 and angsty anyway. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Did anybody in this room ever hear one of their children say, I don't think I'm good enough for you? I'm Chris. My group setting in on this. I don't know. Uh, did not take these notes and take credit for that. It's kind of that read through them. We also started with um, the gospel kind of like you were saying, like, why are we here? Um, what is the purpose? And part of that is, is my child even a Christian? Um, that's something we often overlook when we're going in. We're just we're a unit. We're going to sit together. We tell our kids to suck it up and go with us. But the reality is that they're all individuals too. And looking out for them. Um, we also say take it to God in prayer. Uh, prayer is a, is a big key aspect that um, I think all of us would be have would been doing in all these situations that we may have not mentioned. But first place is scripture, second place is prayer, 
Um, and then with the actual situation and, and our child, uh, something that I personally fell at, something we would have to do is, is listen before speaking. Um, so they're going through a lot, we're going through a lot, so it's for us to get caught up in our own things and not notice what's going on there, but say, listen, um, create a safe space, is what some of us said, talk about um, ways to listen. Sometimes mom and dad aren't the best people for uh, their to talk to, and so getting a counselor, which may not be available, but also getting a mentor or someone in their life that can also be coming in and speak to that person also and say, hey, what have they been saying to you? How can we get feedback from that so that we can actually do something? And giving them a, a place to speak, a place to be heard, uh, a place not really getting trampled on, um, and, and you know, having some kind of bend, some kind of flexibility in that. So when you give a new spirit and say, oh, I hear you, but it stinks for you. This is where we're at. But, but being able to adapt somewhat and be able to change um, so we want to be able to help the practical. There's a language school may, may be a big, a big thing that we need to something to fit in. Um, maybe school in general, maybe where you're at isn't working. Some kids thrive in homeschool. Some kids hate it and loathe it. So just trying to find the, the practical ways to do it. And then also we talk about taking family breaks, putting fun in there. Uh, often you're ripping out of context and going to a totally new country, a totally new place. Mom and dad don't know how to find have fun yet and kids are not having fun at all and just making uh, that a priority. So all in all, we said being intentional before and during. Uh, stay accountable to others and then making sure we can sense it to our children. Any other that scenario? Jim left. Okay, my name is Terry. So I work with the New Tribes Mission and I get to teach all of our young families that are about to go and also do a lot of research on what's going on in the last 30 years of missions yeah. and in teens and all that. So just three things, three resources to think about. So the movie Inside Out is the one that a lot of us in missions <laughs> use. And at that scene at the end, when, she, when they find her on the bus and they bring her back. When that family hugs, and the mom and dad both cry with her, is when the healing starts. So 13 years old, 12 years old, whatever she was, that's always delicate. But it doesn't matter really. When the kids are old enough to watch that movie, it's worth the time as a parent, because statistically now we're finding out a lot of the kids that really have a hard time in all this mission stuff and being considered the baggage, um, it's because they don't have an emotional connection with their parents. Uh. Parents are busy, and that's how they feel. And so there's a lot in that movie that you can bring out with your kids. And then two books that are worth reading right now, um, whether you're a missionary kid, a pastor's kid, you're going to raise them or to understand them. Two of them is I Have to Be Perfect by Timothy Sanford. Excellent. And the rest of his title is um, something about the heresies of being raised in a Christian home. So Timothy Sanford's book. And then Barnabas Piper just did a book called The Pastor's Kid. Both of those books are worth every word as a parent um, and as just yourself. 
in this whole thing. It goes right along with what you're saying. Because when they feel like they cannot measure up to these unrealistic expectations we've got for them, um, there isn't a lot of hope for them. Yeah. Those two books and that movie will give you hope for the families. Sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Where am I hidden? Well, she just did one chance. Sorry, double up, but um, my in-laws actually had this very situation with my brother-in-law. And um, he was about this age, this is before social media, and what they ended up doing, I don't know if this would be practical in this situation, but... They ended up sending him for a summer to go be with his cousin. And he, after he had had the year in the host country and hated it, he had a summer to kind of go back and like eat the ice cream and watch baseball and be as American as he wanted to be and like grieve that process for him. And when he, his, um, my mother-in-law told me that when he came back, he was a different person and he had had a chance to kind of come to terms with it on his own time in his own space um, and so just like we take retreats and we get away we say we need to process yeah, that's very good that's really good to process especially strangers it's invaluable so yeah. 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 Sure. my name is uh, Thompson I'm originally from Nigeria but I work for Mercy International Mission now. Uh, we started, we help our office in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, I just had a question. How do you differentiate culture from mission? Yeah. I don't have... Yeah, Jim, you can answer that. <laughs> I don't think you can, and I don't think it matters. I think all of the advice that we've given here about the teen situation, it's hard for them, regardless whether it's a cultural issue or the ministry that you're involved with. I think the only, I'm just talking off the top of my head here, and we've already made the disclaimer that we're not experts, so I can have someone else here, uh, maybe back here. But, I mean, the ministry things you can, you can back away from and maybe find a different ministry setting. So I think that that's a really, really important question to ask. Uh, is this an, a, a ministry issue or a cultural issue that you're dealing with in your family? I think that's a great question to ask. I think someone else had this scenario. So I'm kind of blocked by the post. <laughs> I'm Shirley Brown, and um, several of you have mentioned being a counselor for your children. And many years ago, that was not available. But it is available now. And so I'm from Tumaini Counseling Center in Kenya. There's also the well and cornerstone in Thailand and olive tree in Turkey. And there's also a counseling center starting up in North Africa. And all of these centers have websites with a lot of resources, a lot of the books that you've mentioned, um, as well as ways that you can actually be seen or um, using internet for, for counseling and referrals to administrators. So there are really some significant resources out there and um, things that you can find on your own on the websites, but also 
therapy options. Yeah. Jeff, can I do one thing? Please. When anybody asks a question like you asked, they usually have an answer also. You thought that through. Would you share with us your take on that and your question? Oh. I'm your good for your wisdom, Like I said, I'm from Nigeria originally, but I got married to an American. That is 46 years ago. We spent years in America here, then we moved down to Nigeria for 12 and a half years. But we are in field mission right now. And by God's grace, we are blessed with two kids. Both of them, medical uh, practitioner, and one of them, medical practitioner, and the other one, the educator. We both trained them over here and over there. The problem we were faced when we started was the cultural differences. I coming from Nigeria, from a village, that village, and traveling down to New York City and pick up a wife. And uh, thank God that she was the wife that God gave to me. Because uh, she understood where I'm coming from. We have another mission too, which is uh, that is international student ministry in the school there, University of Minnesota. What happens is that all the international students are coming over here. America is the best country in the world. And as a matter of fact, without America and the mission that emanated from America. Some of us will not get educated at all. And coming over here, we find that the culture is very different from ours. Mm-hmm. So many people are going to Africa, to Asia, as missionaries, doctors. And now we find a lot of missionaries coming from Africa, to America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, starting out to see the majority of the places, the final people, yes, they take a term of religion, but they are not practicing it. Mm-hmm. So, we know that there are cultural differences, but Jesus Christ, the Lord, is one all over the world. Mm-hmm. And when he came to this world, he just loved people. Mm-hmm. He did everything to help on that under people who are poor, who cannot see. They say, I thank God for the message I received from the pastor here today. Yeah. That he said, all of us are, are just branches. Yeah. And we thank you. Which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what you perceive the question. Thank you. So I have a quarter to yeah. So I have a hand back there. Okay. And this will be the last before. Well, we. Yeah. I might do one more scenario. Yeah. Yep. Or two. So we have 15 minutes left. This is good. This is way more important than me answering questions. So, yeah. Someone had their hand raised back here. I saw the lights are in my eyes, so it's hard to see. Um, 
My name is Martha Ritchie. I'm with World Gospel Mission, and we are second career missionaries. So we did go to the field with teenagers, and we left some behind. Um, the things I learned, <laughs> you need to let them be honest. If they are angry at God, let them be angry. If they're angry at you, let them be angry. It's safe. They need to be um, who they are. In our daughter who went as a senior in high school, she went very reluctantly, but you know, my prayer to God was, if you really want us to go, you need to change her heart, because I don't know. And he did, and we we told her, if we need to go home, we'll go home. And that's after being on the field for three weeks. Um, and she said, we can't go. I said, yeah, we can. We can go. And she said, no, um, God called me here. I'm afraid to go home. So I think as parents, we want to fix it. We want to make it better. But sometimes we just have to ask God to make it better and trust that he can. And um, I think it's, I saw God do miraculous things to move her along. And um, she's not who we took to the field. Wow. She, she has her own faith now. And so they're not all... Stories of, I mean, it was definitely tough, but it. Janet. God met her. Um, I think there are counselors. I think there's for resources that put them by the doors. And sometimes you just have to love the people. It's leave. not that easy just to just a pack of papers. I've mean, um, got to find out. I don't not know. just sometimes you have to keep loving, keep loving, but you also have to be there and acknowledge their sacrifice that they don't have a lot of control over. Um, but to also give them, um, I think, check your heart. Are you willing to believe for them? Yeah. Um, it's a tough call. But if you let them know that they mean as much as your ministry, that will also go a long way. And right now we have a 13-year-old, the youngest of six, who's struggling because everyone else has left. Um, for him, I said, if if you really want us to come home, why don't you ask God to change our heart? We ask God to change Helen's heart. Now you ask God. Because do you really want to come home? Because in his mind, it's different than it was when he left. So, but we can all take God's leading. We, we agree we want to be where God wants us. So you pray what you want to pray. It's fine. You can pray whatever you want to pray. And we'll just... We're all in the same boat. God put us in the boat together. So you, you can pray. And I think we don't have to be afraid of what God might do. Um, because he's the captain. Yeah. And we can kiss some waves, that's for sure. But um, I think letting them be and say some of the most outlandish things without being horrified that that came out of their mouth. And also give them help if they need help. Just, just be there. Thank you. So I wonder if, if uh, especially the counts, you spoke about the counseling ministries, maybe you, maybe you as a person who helps families, if you guys need help, if you could just like be there at the end for people to ask you more details about that, I think that would be really important. Okay, can I just yeah. I think you can Google these. If you Google counseling, 
Chiang Mai would as well. Yeah. I don't know if Olive Tree is quite as public, but I think our website has referrals to the other places. Okay, very good. All right. Well, some people did work on this, so I want to give a little bit of time for these other scenarios. Um, uh, what do we like better, four or five? Um, I'll skip to five. Elliot and Sarah live in an area where females are less respected as individuals and viewed at times as property. There are reported instances of foreign women and girls being verbally harassed and even worse in the markets. The females in the host culture rarely go out of their homes and usually only with their husbands and children. Elliot wants to respect the host culture and their norms as well as keep Sarah and his daughters safe from harm. He wants the females and his family to experience freedom, joy, and respect and not have to have their lives completely different from their host home culture. Sarah does not want to be hemmed in but stay inside. She wants to respect her husband who is more protective and certainly doesn't want her girls to come to any harm. So who had scenario five? Yeah, we have one, one or two. We just uh, we have ten minutes left, so just be mindful of other people's responses. Hi, my name is We first of all, we thought this was a very difficult situation, and not none of us have really experienced it completely and wholly. One of our relatives, a little bit. Um, first, we said maybe before going. Be prepared and maybe ask other people who've been there before, like, how have you dealt with this? Um, because it is such a big change from American culture. Um, we talked about communicating with each other, the husband and the wife. What are your expectations for me? What are my expectations for you? Um, how can I help you? Um, especially, I think, for Sarah, because she feels more trapped. And then for Sarah, maybe try to um, invite people into the home, into her own home, like other women. Get to know the locals that way, so she can go out. Maybe have people come in. Um, what else? Great, thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Chloe. Um, we talked about the importance of having the males in the household be an example of what a godly man would be, especially for the children growing up in the house, um, so that if you have a son growing up in that culture, that he is setting good examples of how to That's be great. women, um, even if those around him are not, and that if you have daughters growing up, that they um, don't say if they were to go um, come back to the U.S. or wherever the missionary is from, they don't grow up with a um, fear of all men or have it reflect on the way that they grow up feeling about themselves. So as much as you can, modeling um, how God views for being in the home. Yeah. Thank you. I think there's one other hand there. Yeah. Hey, my name's Kevin. Um, yeah, in addition to what's already been said, we also talked about um, just the importance of communication. Um, as was mentioned, making sure that the husband communicates uh, to his wife how he feels and what he wants, as well as the wife within the daughters, well, get a voice that they were able to say. And then, two, we were reminded to of the spiritual side of this that it you know, it can be seen as a very practical way. Here's how we approach it, but also this can be a spiritual warfare type of deal. And so, all the more importance of praying. Um, it may feel oppressive. It may feel whatever, but continuing to pray as a family and individually against the spiritual attacks that come. 
Yeah. Thank you. We have one comment here, Jim. Um, I think scenarios like this are. Sorry, my name is Monica. <laughs> I think scenarios like this are more prominent in Middle Eastern countries where um, a lot of women can't go outside alone, and, and so when foreigners come in and they see them, they they just kind of have the impulse to say, you can't do this, and they sometimes don't understand that that's just the way it is outside. And so, um, I'm from Egypt, and so I, I see this a lot, and so as when I go back and visit, I can't go outside by myself. If I do, I have to wait for my husband to come home or go out in a group. So a recommendation that can be made to Sarah here is to um, try to branch out and make friends or try to um, talk to the people that are out there, the women that are around her, because if she um, wants to go out and wants to do stuff, it is a possibility. She does not just have to wait for her husband to come home. It's just she just wouldn't be able to do that alone, and I think that's something that she would have to, her and her girls, practice and learn and try to understand as well that they can. It just won't be what they're used to at home. Yeah, very good. So um, I cut off people from the fourth scenario. If someone has like a great burning point from that scenario, now I put a lot of pressure on you, didn't I? But I do want, if someone really had something that was really impactful that they had experienced regarding that scenario, I'd love to hear from you. Raise your hand. Yeah. You want to quickly explain maybe the... So our scenario involved... um Basically, a burned-out surgeon who was not able to be attentive at home or at work, and um, we were just talking about how we could process um, through that. And some of it involves communication, choosing the right time, um, but then also being proactive about how might the organization um, be able to help provide additional coverage, um, or even just a retreat. And um, then also just thinking about those who are looking to go. Um, to look for opportunities to go in teams and as capacity building, but not make with your full identity. Okay. What do we do now? Experiences and viewers, your team? Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to ask people to do evaluations, resources at the door, and then we'll stay after for questions. Um, I'm Ricky um, Scarborough. Um, yeah, we, I had a scenario for my group. Um, <laughs> I wanted to share before that um, that I forgot to mention to them, but um, a book I read before going on the field was um, Expectations and Burnout, Women Surviving the Great Commission. Um, and I heard in this room a lot of people saying the word expectation, and I think um, a lot of how we deal with unmet expectations um, is important as missionaries. Um, so I, I think it applies to all um, women in, in the ministry and even on this continent, but um, also if you go overseas because um, your friend group disappears, you um, have team relationships that you might you might think that you're going to have a best friend and that doesn't God doesn't provide that. So how do you um, deal with those emotions and um, expectations that you, you might not even know you had? Um, but that were unmet. Um, it's, it's a little bit dry and gets a lot of statistics, but um, it was very helpful for me. Who's the author? One, one more time, the book and all. Two authors. Okay. Um, it's it's uh, Expectations of Burnout, Women Surviving the Great Commission. Okay. Thank you.
Am I right surviving the Great Commission there? So, um, this is great. I think this is more valuable than us answering questions from our limited perspective. So, our time is up. We are going to stay after for questions. I just want you to fill out the evaluation forms. Uh, if you can fill those out and leave them on the tables at the back, just please give your honest feedback. Uh, and then also at the door, if you want, there's a few books uh, and things that have um, some resources. There's one red book here that I did not highlight that's uh, not on the piece of paper. And, and this book is called Raising Nomads. It's actually a secular book, but has a lot of very practical information as well. And all that's on the piece of paper at the door except for that red one. And then we learned of a couple other resources today. So very thankful for your input. Thank you, guys. Uh, I really appreciated your feedback, and this was great. I was blessed. Thank you.